Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. You know, we're recording this, Tyler, at a time when Hurricane Ian is making landfall today in Charlotte, North Carolina, after a devastating pass over the state of Florida uh, with a landing in the Fort Myers Beach area, a part of the uh, the Florida coast, Tyler, that you and I uh, worked on. Know well. In our last, uh, and we know very well, it's, it was an extraordinary event, uh, Hurricane Ian, Tyler. No kidding. And, uh, you know, it's this is the third landfall, Peter. We forget that it had already pulverized Cuba uh, by the time it had hit Florida. And I'm really, you know, it's obviously a, a time for reflection and, and uh, thoughts and prayers to the people who have been impacted by it and continue to be impacted by it. But it's also a time for us to think about how these storms are in our modern life and how we think about them. And in, uh, Peter, an important part of that is how we factor in the costs and the benefits of living in coastal areas, areas that can be impacted by this, these tremendous storms that are just incredibly powerful. I mean, I was blown away, Peter, by you. That's a stunning storm. Uh, storm surges that are historic in Florida. I think it'll be in the top five hurricanes, uh, powerful hurricanes to, to uh, strike the state of Florida historically. Um, the implications for, for property, of course, are obvious. Uh, in Coastal News Today yesterday, Tyler ran a couple of stories of the early damage estimates. Uh, these estimates out of the insurance industry were $65 billion in damages. Uh, those estimates uh, arose prior to the assessment of actual uh, uh, damage on the ground. I would expect this storm to be substantially in excess of that massive impact. And that's really the focus of our show today, Tyler, is we're going to be talking about the implications of increased risk along the shoreline of America, uh, in particular in the in the commercial property sector. And we have an incredible guest uh, to help us understand the issue and the implications uh, of that topic. Joining us today on the American Shoreline podcast is Kevin Augustine. Kevin is a senior vice president for credit ratings at DBRS Morningstar in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Kevin is a, a, a friend and a colleague of someone very important to us here at the American Shoreline Podcast Network, Dan Martin, uh, who was the former host of the Next Gen Waterfronts podcast on ASPN. Tyler, one of the great people we have met uh, in putting this network together over the years. Uh, Dan passed away in early 2021. We miss him desperately. And uh, if Kevin, uh, if if uh, Dan were were live today, this is a this is a show Dan uh, uh, Dan would do. Uh, this is the type of subject matter uh, that he was interested in and covered. And uh, I hope Tyler, we can we can do it half as good as Dan would have done it. But uh, really looking forward to the discussion today with Kevin. Me too, Peter. And uh, really, this one goes out to Dan Martin. We're going to do our best, <laughs> and I'm going to do my best as a as a, a person who's really not super knowledgeable about, you know, the financial realm, but I know Dan would hold my hand and walk us through. So we're going to proceed unafraid, Peter. Let's get into it after a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an NV5 company 
specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes a variety of hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configuration. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter for our latest updates from around the American shoreline. Like what you're hearing and want to support the network? Sponsorship packages are now available. Go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising to learn more. For the benefit of the listeners, I'd like to do a little bit of an extended introduction uh, for Kevin Augustine. Uh, as I mentioned, Kevin is a senior vice president in the North American uh, CMBS Global Structured Finance Group at DBRS Morningstar. Uh, DBS Morningstar is a credit rating agency and investment research firm. It is headquartered in Chicago, Illinois, uh, Dan Martin's hometown as well. In his role at uh, DBRS Morningstar, uh, Mr. Augustine covers several esoteric financial instruments and leads Morningstar's effort to provide credit ratings for commercial property assessed clean energy on a national basis. And he serves in a number of roles related to the firm's ESG methodology committee, a real expert on the commercial real estate industry and an expert now uh, in the implications of sea level rise and risks and the implications for, for, for commercial real estate on the American shoreline. So a real pleasure to have uh, Kevin joining us on the American Shoreline podcast. Kevin, thank you very much for, for being with us today. Uh, great. Happy to be here. The reason we wanted to talk to you, uh, Kevin, was uh, the, the company recently came out with an important report. Uh, it is called As Seas Rise, Commercial Coastal Commercial Properties Will Need to Batten Down the Hatches. Uh, when I saw the report come out and looked at it again today uh, in light of... Uh, of Hurricane Ian, well, it was a prescient title. They sure do have to batten down the houses on the American shoreline. Things are changing. Risks are changing. Uh, Kevin, talk to us a little bit about uh, what DBRS Morningstar is before we jump into the port uh, report. Sure. Uh, DBRS Morningstar is one of the debt rating agencies. Uh, we primarily, our business line is to provide uh, credit ratings, debt ratings for structured finance and other type of debt instruments. So we analyze in our particular division, we analyze commercial real estate properties either individually or in, in pools and provide in-depth analysis for those transactions and then apply uh, and, and actually designate a credit rating for those that give investors information on how, uh, how to invest in these properties. So Kevin, uh, help, you know, when I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm just bad at thinking about like big picture financial movement, but, uh, you know, this report takes a real broad look at specifically commercial real estate. Could you talk a little bit about why there, is there a reason why there's a delineation between commercial and other types of 
uh, real estate that you wanted to study? Well, our group is focused on commercial real estate. So just to give you a sense of the breadth of what we do, our group would cover, um, for example, all property types. So multifamily, office, retail, hospitality, student housing, multifamily. We'd look at that product type, but we'd also look at that product type across the country. So we are analyzing commercial real estate, either uh, most typically large single transactions or a pool of transactions that ultimately gets securitized. So we're in a little bit unique position, I think, for two reasons. One, we do look at things nationally. We do look at things across all property types. But the big differentiator is a large amount of the work that we do is publicly published. So if we are asked to uh, rate a transaction for one of the investment banks, we issue what's commonly referred to as a presale report. And that presale report, which is used by investors, provides fairly granular levels of detail on either that individual property that's part of that security offering or in the case of a, of a larger pool. So it's an interesting perspective to have. And it, uh, although structured finance, CMBS financing is, uh, in the scheme of things, maybe a, a smaller part of the commercial real estate finance world, because it is public and because it's transparent, uh, people do study these assets and, and ask us for some input because it's one of the most uh, public granular sources of information. Uh, Kevin, it, we're, we're going to be seeing and already are starting to see uh, how Governor DeSantis and uh, political leaders are responding to the devastation of Hurricane Ian in Florida. And across the board, as is typical in these cases, uh, the, 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 the rallying cry is we are going to build it back. We're going to put it uh, back on its feet in the same way or better. Uh, these are billions of dollars in investment that we're talking about uh, likely to occur in these very risky areas. Um, talk to us about uh, DBRS's role and how you would evaluate or what what role or function um, would an organization like yours and the information that you produce uh, be incorporated into decision making like that? Well, let's start back a little bit before that and think about this uh, trend that we've seen explode in the, in the last few years, which is the general overall concept of environmentally social governance, ESG type investing. So one of the things that has been debated in the commercial real estate world and gets really focused in on in the credit rating world is to what extent or how should we treat ESG related factors in creating and supplying the credit ratings that investors rely on? So there, you know, in a broad way, have generally been two approaches. One approach is to say we are looking at all aspects of financial risk on a particular transaction, and we should do that. And if anybody wants to have additional knowledge or insight around ESG factors, whether those are 
climate change issues, social issues, governance issues, then perhaps a, a credit rating agency or one of its subsidiaries could provide a ESG report, which would be given alongside that credit rating and help investors make decisions using essentially both documents. The second approach, which we've taken the tact in doing, is to say, okay, we have these financially driven ratings, but we want to take those ratings and rather than present an environmental social governance document alongside it, we want to integrate the two. So we look at ways that climate change issues, social issues, governance issues would impact a particular property and in turn impact the credit worthiness or uh, credit rating of a, a, a particular real estate transaction. So this is different than what you would typically think of in terms of uh, ESG investing. This is not really a gauge on how well uh, a piece of real estate uh, can be used to change the world. It's more of an approach of what are the risks out there that are broadly considered ESG factors that would affect that piece of real estate and therefore affect the debt instrument that that uh, that, un that 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 property underlies. So. The particular thing that, that is the best illustration of that is climate risk, because climate risk, uh, you know, results in different weather patterns, different events that have very real impact on commercial real estate. So we are looking at ways to incorporate these criteria into our ratings and climate change becomes almost the poster child for how that's done. I can go into more detail on different criteria, but, but suffice it to say that whether you're talking about flooding, whether you're talking about heat, whether you're talking about drought, um, all of these weather-related issues can have a significant impact uh, on the, the use and ultimately the value of a piece of real estate which then affects the value of that particular debt instrument that is secured by that, that piece of real estate. Okay. I think I'm getting it. I think I'm getting it. So, but, you know, in, interestingly, so when I, when I think about this and, and ladies and gentlemen, please bear with me. I'm, 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 I'm following along as I'm, as I'm listening here and learning with y'all, but, but what it sounds to me like is you can't, decouple a, a piece of real estate, in this case, a commercial piece of real estate, from its kind of ESG moorings around it. So, uh, you know, if you're, if it's a commercial piece of real estate and the community around it, maybe, maybe it's high up and it's built sturdy and it can survive a storm, et cetera. But if the community around it were to not be able to survive a storm or heat or some other climate change related uh, impact, that would potentially, in fact, I think that goes on beyond potentially, I think it would definitely impact the value of and viability of that commercial piece of real estate to meet its expectations. Is that is that more or less correct, Kevin? 
More or less. I think that it, for those those community related issues, it, it may uh, the impact may be more in our social criteria, perhaps, than our environmental criteria. But uh, you know, everything you know, as, as you probably speak about more often on this this podcast and the show that you do, that you know, things are related, right? So, uh, and intertwined. So that that is certainly on people's radar. Okay, a follow up question, if I if I may. So this report uh, looks at like the totality of uh, the the coastal areas, if not even inland areas. You talk about Pittsburgh and other kind of vulnerable zones, and you know that's kind of now we're getting into kind of the big picture commercial real estate in various areas, not a specific property. And I'm just trying to like you. I mean, can I use the transitive property here or like, can I just add up all the, I mean, how do you, how do you go from an individual property to talking about, you know, this concept of commercial real estate? Well, let me try to explain it this way. So in our business, for example, um, let's talk about two broad ways that we, types of structures and securities and properties that we would look at. First, uh, we certainly provide credit ratings on individual properties. And those are typically larger scale commercial real estate properties that are big enough that can be securitized. And I, this is not going to be a lesson in securitization, but just to think of it as one property that's big enough and high profile enough that it would be of interest to investors. An example of that might be one Vanderbilt in Manhattan. It's a, it's a, and, and this is particularly um, relevant given ESG issues because this building is lead platinum and it has a lot of other issues that that make it, um, you know, very ESG friendly. So you have this idea of a, a large piece of real estate, and think about this in context of where those buildings would tend to be. You, you know, we think about population and coastal density. In terms of population, frequently a lot of people live, um, you know, on the coasts. Well, that's true. From a commercial real estate standpoint, though, think about this idea that not only do a lot of people live there, but it's also where major metropolitan areas are clustered, and in those areas, there tend to be dense communities. Uh, larger scale downtowns. Think of New York, Washington, Boston. So not only do you have a concentration of people, but you have a concentration of very high sector, very high density real estate, and typically larger pieces of real estate. So this is talked about a little bit in our in our in our, our study about where this breakdown is between um, you know smaller real estate assets and larger real estate assets. Larger real estate assets tend to be in these single asset transactions, and those are more often than not uh, located in coastal communities. The other thing, the other flip side, the other type of, of instrument that we look at are pools of transactions, and pools are still large transactions, but they're made up of many properties. And those properties tend to be uh, smaller, maybe uh, maybe tend to be more in Heartland uh, as opposed to uh, coastal communities. But, but even if they are in coastal communities, maybe a little denser environment. So those properties um, overall in those pools 
might be viewed as having a little bit less climate risk because they don't have the concentration in the coastal areas that some of the single asset transactions have. So, uh, yeah, this is a pretty, pretty sometimes complicated and, and uh, you know, and talk about for, for a long time in different ways, but essentially try to get your hands around this issue of where is this concentration of risk and what kind of buildings are at risk. And then you can begin to talk about some of the ways you could mitigate that. But eventually we should spend some time talking about modeling and data and why that's becoming so important. That, that I definitely want to get to that. I want to do one more, see if I understand the concept. Uh, Morningstar, I, I first learned about Morningstar early in, in my professional career when I would see the Morningstar rating on uh, mutual funds. And uh, there was a star system, as I recall, and, and certain funds were evaluated independently by Morningstar and given a rating. And as an in investor, I could decide to pick my funds based on a Morningstar rating. Uh, is that fair to say part of the history of this company? I know this is a different division. Well, that is right. But and certainly um, that that is where a, a lot of people had their initial exposure to Morningstar Inc., uh, we're a subsidiary, DVRS Morningstar. We joined Morningstar uh, about five years ago. We're an independent crediting agency up until then. And then within the broader Morningstar world, uh, we certainly have some subsidiaries that are focused on ESG investing. Uh, we have Morningstar Corporate, which you know you know as uh, not now uh, really a full range of investor services. And uh, so there's different divisions, different parts, but we focus in this report on commercial real estate and on even a smaller subset of that, which is structured real estate finance Commoditized, yes. And but the but the role is the same in both cases. Morningstar is acting as an independent evaluator of a particular investment opportunity, whether it's an equity interest or a debt instrument, right? And and what you're trying yeah, we, to say provide, is keep going. Yeah, we go ahead. provide. We provide. We provide investors with data and ratings on potential investments in commercial real estate debt transactions. That's what I, that's kind of the linchpin of it. And uh, I got to say, I'm very encouraged to see uh, this kind of rating analysis being developed uh, because it's, as you say, this isn't what has typically been uh, approached and with ESG ratings where uh, you're looking at the social good of a particular investment idea or investment pool about what kind of company is it investing in and whether it supports large social goals. It sounds like what you're doing is different. What you're trying to do is take the climate risk associated with uh, the, the, the sea level rise risk associated with climate change and really integrate that into the risk analysis of the investments that are being made, the debt instruments that are being offered and uh, it has to be an understanding that develops uh, from from a from a determination that there is a direct and immediate connection. That seems fair. Um, tell us about the report. Tell us about the emergence of this kind of rating. Uh, why is it being done now? Has it been done in the past? And what's new about what you're doing in terms of this rating system that you're working on? Well, I think that it mirrors the overall growth and interest in ESG and sustainable and, and investment. So there's an overall interest in just that investment category and people are interested in it. It's expanded number of assets with some type of ESG screening criteria have grown. 
Um, second, within the commercial real estate industry, if you look even at the, the major professional organizations, Urban Land Institute, BOMA, NIOP, every one of those professional real estate organizations has recognized the importance of this and have significant resources dedicated to it. Um, Urban Land Institute has a sustainability initiative that includes well buildings. It includes the um, the ability of a building to perform well, given given net zero carbon and other criteria. So every one of these ha areas has now uh, really um, focused on the, the, the growth in this, the importance of this. And so it, it, it really flows from that. And then the third thing I think that drives it is we've just become better at uh, technology and better at data collection. And there's just more information available. Uh, the, the growth in the, the data industry and the availability and usability of data has made a big difference because at the end of the day, we run a very quantitative process and we are looking at identifying risk and being able to quantify that risk. And we really can't do that unless we have very good data and use that data well. So those are the things that I think are, are driving this. And people, look, you see, people see the devastation of EN. They see reports about drought across the U.S. They see stories about flooding. Pick, pick the issues that are related to climate change. Uh, this has gotten people's attention. So if you're developing a rating system, it's to indicate to uh, investors, whether institutional in, or individual, and in these cases, I would imagine these are institutional investment uh, level folks, uh, private equity funds, or other uh, large-scale investors. Uh, if you've got a rating system, there's going to be a differentiation between what are the good things to invest in and what are the bad things to invest in. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the implications of introducing this factor, uh, climate change and sea level rise risk, into the rating system? What do you think it does to the decision-making process, or what do you hope that it does on decision-making for investors? Yeah, and this is very much, much a, a work in, in progress. And ultimately, I think that what we're looking to do is to take these ESG-related issues and understand what risks they uncover in a particular piece of real estate and therefore in a transaction, and then think about ways that that might be mitigated. And if it's not, then through our predictive models, show an investor what the impact would be on value or other uh, cash flow or other investment criteria. So that's what we're looking to do. It's a question here of how do we use ESG thinking to more effectively, more accurately identify risk. This is not a this is not and this was this has been talked about in our company. This is not we don't want this to be politicized, right? We we view this as one more way to objectively look at risk and incorporate that, and that will get better over time. Uh, you know, Peter, uh, I love to think about sports as kind of a mirror <laughs> yeah. of, of back to society. And if you watch baseball these days, or if you watch basketball or football, you'll note that there's a lot more numbers on the screen these days. 
analytics has taken over our culture. We, we use numbers, we use computer learning and large data sets all the time to make better decisions. And one of the things that I think is interesting, Kevin, is that like, you know, scientifically, climate change, I'm, I'm 35 years old. I mean, I've, I've only ever lived in the Anthropocene. I've only ever known a, a world where human-caused CO2 emissions, greenhouse gases, have impacted the climate. And of course, it's getting worse and it's getting faster and we're, we're understanding it better. But the truth is that the, what's changing is like the psychology of the people. And we are learning how to describe our world in new ways with new technology. And one of the things that the report talks about uh, extensively is the importance of data. Could you talk about how you conducted this analysis? Like kind of take us behind the scenes on how the sausage was made in coming up with this report. Well, the report had two, two, two parts to it. One, the first part was to discuss general information about rising sea levels, a very brief discussion of why that's happening, where it's happening, what's the magnitude of what's happening. But then the second part to talk more about how it impacts the investing side. And so in our work, we as a company back in 2021 formally issued a methodology around ESG issues. So we've identified uh, characteristics from the environmental, from the social and the governance standpoint that we are incorporating into our ratings. And so that's that's a real document and that's a, it's a real commitment. So uh, how does that happen as a practical matter? It happens, I think, two ways. One is there is a qualitative aspect to it where we now um, are in a position to talk about and identify certain areas of higher flood risk or areas that are subject to wildfires or uh, other governance issues. So there's that aspect of it, just bringing it to the forefront and talking about it among the analytical team. But at the end of the day, this has to be very quantitative. In our, in our business, we rely heavily on quantitative predictive models that are based on decades of data that show how real estate will perform in certain, in certain, with certain characteristics. So in the same way, we are now adding to our, um, so think of an array of, of aspects that would impact the value of real estate and the, and the value and success of an investment. Think about things like where it's located. Think about loan to value numbers. Think about physical characteristics. Think, some, think about concentration of tenants. Think about all these things that go into a predictive model. And what we're developing is a part of that model that now begins to incorporate and take into effect ESG factors. And what we're most interested in, now there are things that we've always done. You know, we've always looked at environmental pollution aspects of a credit, right? So we look at phase one reports, we look at phase two reports, we figure out remediation issues. That's an, that's an ESG factor but not necessarily a new ESG factor. What is gonna move the needle for us most is to identify ESG factors that are both one, new, they're things that we could, 
could arrive at a decision that we have not fully incorporated those into our analysis. And two, that they actually do make an impact. They actually do move the needle in terms of risk and performance. We call that accretive risk. So climate change is the poster child for that, right? Because I think it's fair to say across the investment, commercial real estate investment spectrum, that we have not, all of us, come up with the exact best way to incorporate climate change issues into our analysis. We know that we have to, and we know that this is not something that is a minor factor. I mean, look at what happens during a hurricane. There's significant damage, there's real issues. So, so that's what we're getting to. And we do that through cultivating better and better data sources that can help us predict that and um, are done based on various criteria. And there are firms out there now that, um, that provide that data. And uh, you know, we look at incorporating that data into, into our models. And that uh, information is getting uh, better and better all the time. Uh, really interesting uh, uh, report. I encourage we'll, we will put uh, the link to the report uh, in the show notes uh, for this episode for the listeners out there. I encourage folks to read it. Uh, at the recent ASBPA meeting, uh, the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association meeting, uh, the topic of coastal risk, of course, is central to the work of the professionals that attend that conference. This is the coastal engineers and the uh, land planners, uh, the local government decision makers, and a wide variety of uh, professionals involved in in really understanding and responding to risks on the American shoreline. Um, it is in the in the in the uh, in the bar conversations at this conference, uh, the discussion of retreat and the discussion of why we continue to invest in the high-risk ways that we do on the American shoreline is common. This is what people talk about. Why is it that we can't seem to do things differently? And I brought up the Ian example and DeSantis's points and the other local leaders that are on TV right now saying they're going to rebuild it. It is such an, it is such an automatic response. Um, I'm wondering, Kevin, when you when you when you look at the backdrop of investment practices in the past, when you look at the backdrop of the intensification of uh, real estate value on the shoreline in high risk areas, uh, when you look at, for example, the exploding real estate market, even in uh, Miami, where we are starting to see almost every month record value sales. Uh, it just thinks I'm just what I get to is there isn't any indication, in my opinion, that the real estate industry, the investment industry, the insurance industry is doing anything different to affect the outcome. Am I too pessimistic? Am I not seeing it? Um, does this report contribute to a different understanding of the risk uh, benefit ratio of shoreline investment? You know, complicated topic, obviously, and there is a long history, right, of, of rebuilding and, and probably a history of gentrification of the coastline as well. Uh, I think that that will begin to change. Think about other historical examples in kind of a strange way, but um, I saw a great lecture uh, once uh, about the issue of um, 
fires. And you know, I live in Chicago, and and you know, we all know historically about the Chicago fire. But actually, that whole idea of a city being built and then being burned happened, you know, kind of regularly. Actually, you know, there weren't really strong building codes there. There, there were issues. And after the Chicago fire, it was the insurance companies who stepped up and said, wait a minute, you know, we just, this, this can't happen. Uh, we need to do a better job of creating cities that are not going to be destroyed by fire every 20 years. And so it was those insurance companies that really uh, fostered much stronger building codes, material codes, and, and changed things. So I think you'll see leadership from places like that where, you know, look, some of these places, uh, because of climate issues and maybe lack of insurance, just become uninhabitable. But that is uh, that is not going to happen overnight. But you could see the, you know, some of that um, gelling uh, in that direction. But we don't we we don't see it. I mean, right right now, I mean, we 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 in our our ratings work, we have not encountered a situation where people could not get insurance. And actually, maybe. We've seen insurance rates increase, certainly in our pro formas, but we haven't got to the point where it becomes so uh, prohibitive in cost that it it wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be put in place. I, I'm not you you all are involved in this much more day to day and heavily than I am, and I I, so I couldn't really predict that future. But um, if you point to issues like the Chicago Fire, you do see how um, different different entities did come in and help change the game a little bit. Well, you know, I think it's, you know, uh, humans, humans like to iterate. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, we have a long history of uh, natural or man-made caused disasters on the American shoreline that we have learned from. And what's interesting, I think, from our perspective, uh, Kevin, as people who follow this uh, every day, is that uh, at some point, um, man, it just seems to get so darn expensive to be there, and yet uh, the the real estate prices keep going up. It seems like the the value in 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 the in the market's eye, coastal areas are still great, and yet we see the risks going up. Uh, I I, I want to shout out the report; it is outstanding. We will link to it, as Peter mentioned. Also, the report. Peter includes some references of, of friends of the podcast and ASPN. Uh, the first thing I want to point out is uh, the, the report uh, begins by referencing the, I believe it was 2018 sea level rise update report. Uh, we had on this very show, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Billy Sweet from NOAA, who was one of the authors of that report. And uh, the, Kevin, my understanding is that Morningstar used that data and that report very heavily. Uh, you also have a quote from Rob Young in the report. I imagine you you consulted with him. Dr. Rob Young was just on the show uh, just recently. And of course, uh, Rear Admiral Gallaudet is quoted in the uh, report as well. And he has his American Blue Economy podcast, which at the time of this recording just came out. Uh, so all friends of ASPN here in the report. So I, I have to say, get out there and check this thing out. It's also really well laid out. It's it's I think one of the most. It's only nine pages. It's a it's quite a dense uh, digest to get your mind around uh, what they're talking about. 
uh, at least as best as I can. Again, I, I confess that this is this stuff is hard for me. Um, but uh, Kevin, where do you see this going as we move on? I mean, Peter, you, Peter just asked the question. I think it's a good one. We're clearly not there yet where it makes sense to kind of move out, get away, I, maybe some very specific areas like you mentioned. Do you think we're going to get there ever? I don't know if I can answer that, but here's the, the role that I think we make that we we play at a rating agency. And I, I, you know, we talked earlier about this notion that ESG investing can be used, uh, you know, that some people look at that as a way to change the world. We look at, at a little bit different approach in terms of identifying risks and, and, and how we might mitigate them. I think that we're pretty strong believers in, in in the market. And so if we feel that we can identify these issues, find the absolute best data that we can find, then take that data and put it into our predictive models, which then have credibility with the investment community, then, then we think that ultimately we can direct capital to the best places. And if, the, and if, if there is an awareness and a, and, and a recognition that some of these locations just become untenable, then I think the investment community will, will respond to that. And so there, everybody has a role to play, right? And in our thinking, our role is just to provide that best information, best risk-adjusted analysis and lead people to make good decisions and that's that's our part and that, that's what I think we we do well and that's where I think we can make an impact that makes a lot of sense and I and I, and I actually believe it uh, you mentioned uh, the Chicago fire and what happened afterward uh, changes in building codes construction material changes there were significant advancements in the public funding for uh, fire departments around the world and around the country it used to be, uh, you know, it was a volunteer group of guys, uh, but it, that became more professionalized. And we it was don't a bad see time that. to be Mrs. O'Leary, though. <laughs> I think that she had a rough time in the aftermath, is my understanding. <laughs> well, the conflagrations don't happen now. And, and I think what you're suggesting, Kevin, is that that is a result of deliberate decisions uh, on many, many levels from many contributors. Uh, the report does a good job, and I think the listeners of this show and other shows on ASPN are very familiar with the coastal sea level rise risks. We do lots of shows on the science of that. It's something very prominent in the thinking in the coastal professional universe. Uh, but I think there's a bit of hope in this report. There's a suggestion here that there are paths forward, that there are ways to manage and mitigate these clear risks that are coming into focus now. Can you talk a little bit about that? And what you found in your analysis that gives you confidence that uh, the investment community and uh, can rely on these ratings and make good investment decisions uh, that are economically viable. I think that the uh, we did when we originally wrote the article, we we did include a number of examples at the end of communities, communities buildings that had. Uh, done a, a good job on mitigating some of these risks we decided to put those in as links so now they're they're there uh, I think that where we can be useful is like there is uh, data out there on on flood issues and about characteristics of buildings 
but at the end of the day, some of this is just very granular, and it takes some hands-on analysis to really uh, take into account. So, for example, uh, there are just a whole range of things that you know we can do to help mitigate these risks. And as something as as simplistic and and you know not cheap, but at least simplistic in terms of, you know, relocating uh, HVAC and mechanical systems to a higher floor. Uh, there are certainly more sophisticated uh, flood control measures that individual building owners can take. There are material decisions about, you know, for example, uh, in, a, in a hurricane or, or, or storm prone area, we certainly want to have some, you, you know, level of penetration proof glass. Maybe that gets increased. Uh, then there are municipal improvements in terms of uh, dunes, swales, uh, you know, ways to impact, to, to listen to the impact of storms. So we are going to come up with new approaches and new ways to do things. And we already have, we have done, made some progress there. And I don't, I think in all these that we do, we want to lay out this idea that there's, the issues cannot be ignored. We do want to point out, though, that there are paths um, to help mitigate some of those, and um, and and really, look, you know, there's there's things that we haven't thought of that we will think of. So um, we we don't certainly want this to be uh, an issue in uh, an, an exercise in despair. And I don't think it needs to be. But I, but what I love about the fact that you guys are putting this forward and other similar financial uh, players. Uh, when we're talking about building standard improvement, we're talking about public policy and implementation of regulatory standards, whether it's base flood elevation changes, uh, in public infrastructure investments on flood management or stormwater retention. And, and there's all sorts of that community, that category of change, I think, is quite viable. And uh, there are improvements. What what you guys bring to the table that's distinctly different is to begin to shift or change or evolve the investment and financial industry's role and participation in future development. Uh, regulatory changes is one thing. The folks who have the checkbooks that drive the, the investments is a whole other community of people and are very, very powerful. And if they start thinking about these issues differently, uh, shifts in investments can occur and changes are on the ground uh, can begin to be seen. That's my sense. Do you foresee that as the understanding of these risks evolves, that the financial industry will be a force for change on the American shoreline? Or am I asking too much of the industry? No, I think that that's, that, that's completely a completely reasonable expectation. Um, private business, uh, you know, the whole thinking around um, whether you want to call it socially responsible investing, corporate awareness, you know, this is all based on the premise that, uh, you know, the private sector can come up with some good ideas to make things better. Uh, you know, 30-year mortgages had a pretty big impact on the housing industry, right? And that, that, that was not the case until the, the, the federal government thought that up, right? Well, I think it is the driving force. It's the fuel uh, for development is 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 financing and uh, these kinds of uh, more sophisticated tools, more nuanced understanding of uh, climate risk, as you say, not as a political matter, not as an agenda, but strictly as 
a tool to guide investors to more prudent decisions, uh, I think is a very powerful force. Um, where is the cutting edge um, in this kind of uh, guidance to uh, the the uh, the real estate industry, if I can say it very broadly, the commercial real estate industry? Where are we on the cutting edge uh, in terms of understanding and incorporating these kinds of factors into future decisions? I think a couple of things are, are going to be important here. Uh, one, and I brought it up before, this whole issue of obtaining uh, better data is uh, is going to be key. And, and also not only getting the data, but presenting it in a way that, that it just is appealing and makes sense and can be, be easily understood and integrated into decision processes. The second is um, technology. Uh, I, I still believe that there are ways that we will think about some, particularly around some of these net zero carbon initiatives that are going to help us uh, get to that in ways that maybe we haven't quite anticipated today. Um, we have some really serious problems. Uh, I would point out, though, that, you know, in whatever year Rachel, 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 uh, Silent Carson. Spring came out. Yeah, uh, Rachel Carson. You know, Carson, Silent Spring came out. That looked like the end of the world, right? And But that didn't happen. So we, we, we figured it out. Uh, it's not easy. And it doesn't in any way undercut the seriousness of it. But uh, but there are some very innovative, bright people out there, and we'll get through it. Well, it's such an interesting bit of work. We we really appreciate uh, the chance to talk to uh, talk to you, uh, Kevin. I think Tyler and I. This is this is a subject area when we get into real estate investing and and financial instruments and these kinds of things. That's a little off the off the topic for us, I guess. And. and uh, it's why Dan Martin was such a great host on ASPN, as we had somebody who really, really understood these issues much better than we do. But uh, thank you for being patient with us and helping us understand uh, this really important development, I think, in the, in the uh, risk rating agencies for commercial real estate, beginning to take a real serious look at uh, climate change, sea level rise, and the implications for, uh, for investors in commercial real estate. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, if folks want to keep up with you or they want to read the report, uh, how can people learn more about the work that you're doing at uh, DBRS Morningstar? Uh, DBRS Morningstar has a, has a great website, and we have an ESG sub uh, subsite. So uh, we publish uh, a pretty regular stream of uh, reports and, and, and methodologies and commentaries. So that's a great place to watch what we do. Well, thank you very much, Kevin, for uh, sharing your insights uh, with our listeners. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Kevin Augustine. He is a senior vice president uh, for credit ratings at uh, DBRS Morningstar, uh, joining us from uh, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, thank you very much, Kevin, for sharing your insights uh, with the listeners on the American Shoreline podcast. We, we sure appreciate it. Thank you. I, I appreciate it, and uh, I appreciate the uh, recognition of uh, our friend Dan. Thanks. Found that I was confused. Spun a 